back to Pop Culture Footnotes, the podcast that keeps you in the loop on all things pop culture so you can talk about it with your friends. I'm Courtney. I'm Shannon. And joining us via Skype this week, we have Alex. Say hello, Alex. Hey. Hey. <laughs> so Alex is here to talk to us about one of her uh, favorite movies. Oh, Alex, yeah. would you say? Yeah, like yes. definitely top 10. <laughs> Excellent. One of Alex's top 10 favorite movies, which is Independence Day. Uh, it's we're coming up on the fourth of Very July. Theme. Yeah, <laughs> coming up on the fourth here in America. Independence, like that's literally the name of the holiday here, is Independence Day. So <laughs> makes sense. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to start with our media of the week segment. So, Alex, you're our guest. Tell us a little bit about what you have been reading or watching or listening to lately. Okay, so there's this. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this at all, but there's a show called Halt and Catch Fire. Lee Pace is in mm-hmm. it, which is why I think a lot of people know it, but a lot of their good people too. And the fourth season, the final season, just came on Netflix about a month ago, I think. And I've just been trying to catch up on the first three seasons again. Like, I've seen them all multiple times. But the show's super heavy on the narrative and, like, kind of character arcs and all that. So I'm making sure that I'm remembering all the tiny details so I can launch into the fourth season in a week or two. But that's what I have been very obsessed with. Excellent. That's awesome. awesome. I've been wanting to watch that because of Lee Pace. Yeah, <laughs> so he's amazing. I'm glad you're recommending it. I like Mackenzie. Is it Mackenzie Davis? Yeah, and she is excellent in that show. Like, the all awesome. four of the main characters, it's like the best acting I've ever seen, like the best scripting, best female characters I've ever seen on TV. It's like one of probably my top three favorite shows. Awesome. Um, yeah, AMC needs another hit too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Shannon, tell us about what you are reading or watching or listening to. Yeah. Um. So I saw your computer, Courtney, because we're sitting close together and I feel like I'm going to steal your thunder. Yeah. <laughs> so fine. here I go. Um. We're so Queer Eye just premiered oh. <laughs> um, as of this recording. I'm super psyched about it. Um, but before that, to promote the new season, um, Spotify did a, a did playlists for each of the Fab Five. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, kind of like we've talked about this with Stranger Things mm-hmm. too on our show before. So you give it access to your music, and they pick um, which of the Fab Five you are mm-hmm. and what music they listen to. Um, so I've been enjoying that. Um, which my, one are you, Shannon? So I pulled up Anthony because he's my favorite, but I'm actually Jonathan. <laughs> I'm Jonathan too. <laughs> and which makes sense because I listen to a lot of Carly Rae Jepsen and like pop <laughs> stuff on my Spotify account. And so that's yeah. very much his stuff. It starts with um, Sade, but it gets like way more amped up, like very fast. Yeah. So that's fun. Yeah, um, that is what I was going to say, Shannon. Sorry. Fine. <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm not changing my mind, and I go before her, so. <laughs> That's fine. Um, it's fine. I will just choose something else. So I, <laughs> I actually just barely got back from seeing Incredibles 2 in the theater. Um, we're recording this a couple weeks in advance, so it's still very new for me. Um, I loved it. It was really good. I loved um, it, too. It was so I'm good. So excited. Yeah. And yeah, Alex, just so you know, Shannon has not seen it yet. So Ooh. I'm going to try no to keep spoilers. it. No spoilers. <laughs> okay. I've um, seen the first 10 minutes at California Adventure, ooh. and that's all I saw. Awesome. So yeah, I love the, the girl power themes in there. Yes. It hit very close to home for Andrew and I because he's a stay-at-home dad. I'm a working mom. And like the conversation that they have when they're about to like kind of switch roles, Andrew and I had like that exact conversation. Um so yeah, it was it was a little it hit home on a personal level for me, which was for a good sure. thing. Um, also, Jack Jack is hilarious. I thought he was going to be um, super annoying, but it it was like the cutest thing I've seen. 
for a long time. Like, yeah. every scene he was in, I was, like, so excited. Yeah, all the stuff with the raccoon was just gold. Oh, my gosh. I wish that, <laughs> I wish that we could have a whole movie of just that. Right? <laughs> um, it's funny, because we went to the store nearby um, and got our kids some incredible merchandise beforehand. And so my son has a shirt with Jack-Jack and the raccoon, and he Cute. has rac- uh, incredible socks. And then my daughter... We got her this little um, stuffed Jack-Jack toy. Oh, my god! But it's Jack-Jack as the demon baby. <laughs> um, and it we could not have bought her a more perfect toy because in the middle of the movie theater, she went full demon baby herself. <laughs> so, oh, <no>. yeah. <laughs> and I've been witness to some of those uh, screams. Oh, <laughs> this was beyond anything oh, you no. have seen. <laughs> it was bad. I'm so sorry. I had to take her outside the theater and put her in timeout, and everybody was staring at me because, like, the movie theater hallway was all, like, polished concrete and it echoed. And I was oh, like, no. Oh, it's better out here than in the theater. So. I don't get how people are judgy about that. It's not your fault. <laughs> your yeah, child is I know. Yelling. <laughs> And it's like a kids' movie. My like kids I feel like you expect so some amount of noise and like kids acting out during kids' movies and like yeah. I don't know. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. She had a tantrum because we were sitting in the back row and there's a ledge behind the back row and mm. she figured out she was skinny enough to climb up in there <gasps> and wanted to run across the back row just hitting all the chairs on her way, um, and we would not let her. So <laughs> we'll be my baby. Anyway, oh boy. <laughs> moving on. So we're going to be talking about Independence Day. So the first thing we want to talk about is uh, what are our first exposures to this movie? It came out in the 90s. So, um, Alex, what was your first exposure to this movie? So it came out like a year after I was born. So there wasn't a time in my life, really, that it wasn't like a big deal culturally, I think. And I don't even remember the first time I watched it. Like my parents, I remember kind of lightly editing it for me when I was little and that shows you like how young I was when we started watching it like I probably watched it the first time when I was four or five and just like at least once a year after that I've watched it many many times nice how about you Shannon um this is one of those (laughs) movies I've talked about this before where I don't think I have seen I had seen it from beginning to end until I watched it again for this (laughs) podcast I've obviously seen like huge chunks of it and I knew like the whole story all the way through but I think this is the first time I really sat down (laughs) and watched it all the way through nice Um, yeah yeah uh for me like I there were there are references like the spaceship hovering over the White House and the White House yeah. exploding that I'd seen before, and I knew it was from that movie. But um, I didn't watch it until after Andrew and I got married, and it was like, I don't know, I want to say almost a year after we got married. So it was our first 4th of July together. Aww, and um, he was like, we have to watch this. This is the 4th of July movie. And my family was very, like, traditionalist as far as 4th of July. So it was like... My go-to 4th of July movie is Gettysburg and, you know, like, war movies. And so I was just like, oh, we're watching Independence. Okay. and Aliens. Aliens, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, it's based on a true story. That is American history. Independence Day? It is not. No. <laughs> Stop misleading people, Shannon. I'm sorry. The whole point of this podcast is not to mislead people. Um, but, yeah, I... Uh, I kind I uh, I don't know. I have a love hate relationship with this movie because I'm never in the mood to watch it, but I understand why people love it. So, yeah, I don't know. That's acceptable. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those that it surprises me how much I like it because I always think I'm not gonna like these big blockbuster action movies so mm-hmm. much, but 
I like when we watch Die Hard or other ones. I'm like, oh, there's like some emotional. I'll tell you watching this, I probably cried at least five times. <laughs> so there's some emotional depth to it a little bit at least. Yeah. I don't know. There's like really good relationships and interesting characters. Yeah. And I do think this Although is can... like one of the ones that a lot of other movies since then have tried to be like. So a lot of the things that are like really cliche in movies that have come out the last couple of years, like this set the cliches, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I do have to say, though, some of the emotional depth of this movie is undermined for me because one of the most emotional plot lines is the Bill Pullman's with his wife and daughter, which we'll get to. Yeah. But um, I, I learned recently that the daughter is Anne from Arrested Development. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, uh, it undercuts all of the emotional depth of that plot line for me because every time I see the daughter, I'm just like, her? I didn't realize so. that until the last time. I, like, I literally watched it this morning, and I had not realized it was her until this morning. Like, I you guys need to watch different things with Mae Whitman in there because yeah. I love no, her I so do, much. I do love Mae Whitman. She's great. But yeah. I, anyway. <laughs> um, cool. Well, we're going to get into plot summary now, and Alex is going to, uh, to take that away for us. So go ahead, Alex. Okay. So I think I'll start just going over a couple of the main characters because there are a handful of characters that it kind of bounces back and forth between the whole movie until eventually later on they meet up and all that. So um, I guess, first of all, the maybe the most important character is Jeff Goldblum's character. I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but that's David Levinson. I agree with that. <laughs> He's like, you know, the main, I think, draw for most people to watch the movie, but... Um, and he's like, I don't even know exactly what his job is in the beginning of the movie, but he's like, um, we know he spent eight years at MIT or something and is really smart and good at coding and all that kind of stuff. And his dad, Julius, who's played by that guy, Judd Hirsch, I think is his name from numbers. I don't know. Um, and then the president, the U S president, um, president Whitmore by Bill Pullman and his wife, Marilyn by Mary McDonald, I think. And then his daughter, who is Mae Whitman, like we just talked about. And then on the complete other side of the country at the beginning of the movie is Will Smith's Captain Hiller and his kind of girlfriend. Well, not kind of girlfriend, actual girlfriend. (laughs) And her son. And then a bunch of other kind of side characters pop in and out. But I feel like those are the main key ones that it like kind of bounces among. So the movie kind of starts out with this really iconic shot of like, the moon and you're seeing like the plaque that says you Americans landed here this day and like the flag and then the moon gets covered with a giant shadow and you see this massive massive spaceship heading toward earth and I think that really sets the tone for the rest of the movie of like like you're not waiting to see what the threat is you know it's just aliens um and then after that I think it's just launching right into the story so I think the first person we meet is David Levinson actually um and we see that he's like uh cares about the earth and like is making all his coworkers recycle and all this stuff and um i guess he's working for a cable company or something and um we meet his dad and they have this close relationship and his dad's like classic nagging father you know why aren't you dating you've been divorced for 3 years like why aren't you doing more things with your job and like all this kind of stuff and then we're also seeing kind of close to the same time at the beginning of the movie President Whitmore, who is young and obviously has a lot of critics, people saying, like, he was a war pilot and he's not qualified to be the president. And um, then uh, basically the giant, giant ship 
breaks into, not breaks into, a bunch of smaller ships come out of it and start kind of hovering over a bunch of the Earth's major cities. And they're something like 15 miles across. And so they're huge and no one knows really what to expect. And there's like widespread panic. So the president says, like, let's get the vice president and the Joint Chiefs of Staff out of here. And I'll stay here and try to like talk to the American people and make sure that they aren't panicking and that they feel like we don't exactly know what the threat is and we're going to do the best we can to solve it and not get more people hurt in the process of running out. Um, but at the same time, David Levinson is figuring out that there's some kind of code that isn't coming from Earth that's bouncing around in the satellites that are uh, going around Earth. And he's not watching the TV and seeing that there are giant spaceships over multiple cities. And all he's seeing is this code. And so when he goes out into his office and all his coworkers are like freaking out, he realizes that the code that he's been looking at is kind of a countdown. And realizing that in the context of like, there are spaceships here, then he realizes that like, it's probably a countdown to them, like trying to destroy either the cities or something else. So he calls, I'm not exactly sure what her job is either. Do you guys know um, what his ex-wife's job is? Connie, she's like a she's some sort of consultant for the president yeah i I'm, i was trying to figure out if she was like his press secretary or something because i know she was giving speeches but basically she's david's ex-wife and she works with the president she's with him through all of him trying to to keep people from panicking and giving speeches and stuff so david's calling her over and over and of course she won't answer she's like we're in the middle of a crisis david so he makes his dad drive him from New York to Washington, D.C. so they can go try to um, warn them and get people out of the major cities and all that stuff. Meanwhile, on the total other side of the country, just outside of L.A., Will Smith's Captain Hiller, um, who we find out, I think, is um, a Air Force captain uh, who is staying over at Jasmine, his girlfriend's house. Um, They go outside and they're also seeing the giant ship over L.A. and he realizes he has to report to base and go get his ship and all that stuff um, to try to figure out what's going on and see if they need to go attack it or whatever. And she's very worried about it. We see him meet up with at the base his friend slash someone that's on his squad um, who is played by Harry Connick Jr., weirdly, which I also don't really know that I realized until this minute. Um... (laughs) And hey, that like, doesn't even look like him. What? I didn't. Does it? I, yeah. Huh, yeah, okay, I did not realize that. that yeah, it's time. Keep going, Alex. I'm That's just going to show Sam the picture while you're talking. <laughs> he looks very young in the movie. Um, but they're like best friends and all this stuff. And it turns out this is like a very small detail in the middle of, you know, a big invasion happening. But um Hiller was going to propose to Jasmine at some point, and he has, like, a ring with a dolphin on it because she loves dolphins and all this stuff. Um, And his friend's, like, kind of trying to talk him out of it. Um, And, okay, so anyway. um, Meanwhile, uh, David and his dad get to the White House. He does something to get a hold of a different phone that Connie has so she can't, like, hang up on him. And gets a hold of her and is like, I need to come into the White House and talk to the president right now. Turns out they have some kind of history where they got in a fight or something, like a physical fist fight. Um, And so they're in the White House. David tells the president, like, this is a countdown. You guys got to get out of here. And so they take um, Air Force One and narrowly escape this 
giant like beam of fire that comes up the space at the end of the cup. We're seeing that as well as like it's taking out a lot of they're all taking out a lot of major cities that they've been hovering over. And that includes LA, where Jasmine and her son have been trying to escape out of the city and they barely avoid being also destroyed by a giant wave of flames because they were in a tunnel kind of thing and they get into a maintenance room and survive miraculously. So, so far, all the main characters Along with the dog. are still alive. Yeah. That's important. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, okay. Then, um, so, okay, so the president, everyone's just barely out. Meanwhile, I forgot to mention this part. The president's wife also, I think, in Los Angeles, so close to there, because she was doing some interviews and after to come back, she said, like, I'm just going to finish these interviews and I'll be there. And then obviously she didn't make it back before these giant explosion things. So we don't really know at this point in the movie her status exactly. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, okay, so now that they know that obviously the aliens are here for nefarious purposes, we don't exactly know why yet. The president says, like, let's do a counterattack, sends a bunch of the Air Force pilots. Um, after these giant ships to see if they can shoot at them and shoot them out of the sky. And it turns out they have huge force fields around them and they're not able to um, breach the force fields. So they start taking heavy losses and Captain Hiller and his best friend are out there trying to shoot at them. And Harry Connick Jr. dies <laughs> in an explosion and Stephen Hiller somehow basically maneuvers to make one of the alien ships crash and uh, he, and we're talking, so the, the big ship has sent out little tiny ships to, like, fighters, yeah. basically. Yeah. So this is not one of the big ships, it's one of the little ones. Right, yeah, a bunch of little ones that have, like, as we find out, kind of solo aliens piloting them, quite quite similar to the fighter pilots. Um, so he, once this one crashes, he goes and, like, punches out an alien in this amazing moment. He's like, welcome to Earth, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> no, Alex, you have to say it right. It's welcome to Earth. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then, you know, grabs his parachute and starts dragging this alien through. Meanwhile, back on Air Force One, um, the president and David and David's father and a bunch of other people, um, I think the Secretary of Defense, they're all kind of arguing about, like, what to do and where to go and, like, why they weren't prepared for an alien attack. And I think they got the Secretary of Defense says something like, oh, there actually are aliens, like, we've known about this, Area 51 sort of exists, and, like, we have encountered spaceships before, and the president is, like, shocked he's never heard any of this, uh, for, as they say, plausible deniability. So, <laughs> so they go to this kind of underground base thing, and go down inside there, and I think his, Oaken, I think is his name, the scientist, but, but Brent Spiner, yeah, yeah which is so it's good. Data from Star yeah. Trek. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, with very long, like very gross hair. He's my favorite part of this movie. His yeah, enthusiasm like, and how much the president hates him. <laughs> it's hilarious, and also like another random person that's like, how are so many people that I've recognized from other things in this movie that I don't really realize until I'm older? You know, so that guy shows up. Um, and he's talking about how, like, the aliens are just as weak as us, and they just kind of wear these exoskeleton kind of things to keep them safe. Um, and their technology is obviously way advanced beyond Earth's technology. 
but that they can be killed and that they have like a couple of specimens of them that died in a crash. And they also have, much more importantly, the ship that those aliens had crashed in. And so they've been trying to figure out things about them. They know they put oxygen and all this stuff. And they do have a functioning ship that they haven't been able to do a whole lot with because it's had like a shield. But um, and also like it hasn't been able to be powered up and stuff. But they do have access to the ship, which is important. Also, another like random side note that I kind of forgot earlier. Uh, there is some kind of redneck guy in the middle of the desert <laughs> who says he got kidnapped by aliens like a decade ago or something. Was previously a pilot. His name is Russell, I think. And played by Randy Quaid. What was that? <laughs> Played by Randy Quaid. Yes. <laughs> and he and his three teenage kids live in a motorhome. And um, he is an alcoholic and kind of seen as the village idiot. And early on in the movie, before the invasion happened, like people were talking about how the reason he is like such a screw up now is because he was taken by aliens. And so he has some kind of... Um, like he he feels finally validated when the invasion happens i guess that people know that he was right but also like his kids have always been embarrassed of him and that's an important detail for later too so meanwhile in the middle of all this sorry yeah yeah it's also important to note that he was a former fighter pilot and now is a crop duster he knows how to fly a plane for sure (laughs) yes important foreshadowing (laughs) so he and his kids kind of meet up with a bunch of other um, people in RVs and they're all just driving through the desert at this point so all the the timeline is starting to like all converge um, so this whole slew of RVs runs into Captain Hiller who's still dragging that alien through the desert so they pick him up and just kind of keep driving and um, okay so then I'm trying to remember where I was at with the um, present and oh oh yeah okay so this rv thing gets to the base of the president and david and everyone else is and they um captain tiller brings this giant alien to them and so they can like experiment on it and see what it's like and all that stuff and of course the scientist is very excited a lot of people are excited slash scared and all this and um they take it down into a room where they can experiment on it and kind of study and it gets the upper hand and presumably kills a bunch of the scientists. And then the room fills with smoke and he wraps, well, not he, I have no idea, the alien wraps its tentacle thing around the neck of Dr. Oaken and like smashes him against the window while the president and other people are there and starts talking through him, basically saying, release me and um, no peace. And then the president says, like, what is it that you want us to do? And the alien says, die, which is foreboding. Die. And, and then um, the, so it, they had been talking, I guess, a minute ago earlier about how the aliens communicate through telepathy. Um, or they think they communicate through telepathy because they don't have vocal cords. And this is proven to be true in this scene when suddenly the president like kind of collapses and is obviously having some kind of mental distress and it turns out that the alien was sharing its thoughts and memories with him and he once they they like kind of shoot through the glass and kill the alien all the military staff that's around and they ask the president if he's okay and he says basically like um 
I've just seen everything that the alien has planned. Like they, they go as a whole um, civilization from planet to planet using all their resources and then moving on and we're next. So they know now that like, there's no opportunity to negotiate. Like there's no way to get peace. The only way to protect themselves is to destroy all the uh, aliens. Meanwhile, it bounces around a lot, <laughs> um, kind of in the LA area. Jasmine has found a giant truck, and so she has loaded her son and their dog on it, as well as a lot of other survivors, and she's been driving around trying to find survivors in the LA area. And she finds a crashed helicopter, and in the wreckage is the First Lady, who's still alive but badly injured. So they take her with them and um, head toward what was Captain Hiller's old base, but it's been destroyed, and he's concurrently finding this out in the underground area 51-ish base um, that he's currently at as well, that like his base has been destroyed and now he's all worried that she's not alive and knows he has to go check in on the base and check out on his girlfriend and all this stuff. So he commandeers a helicopter and takes it to the, the his old base to see if he can find anyone. And he does find her. They're obviously see each other. And so he brings all of them as well as the first lady back to the underground secret base so then once they get there it turns out that the first lady is like so badly injured that she's not going to be able to be saved she's bleeding internally there's like this really really sad scene which we talked about a second earlier in this podcast but um where she's like dying and just like talking to her daughter and then the president goes in and talks with her and it's like you know very sad and it's kind of a quiet very sad moment in the middle of like a bunch of destruction and deaths and then she dies and he comes out and is upset and like doesn't exactly know what to do um and he and he tries to tell her to <clears throat> the doctor tells him she is an uncontrollable like bleeding internal bleeding happening and he says to her oh the doctors say you're gonna be just fine and his wife says liar like she knows right and so this was cry moment number one for, right. <laughs> for yeah. <me>. so <laughs> that that whole scene like really lands for me like it's so sad um and, okay so then um meanwhile David and his ex-wife have been talking um, and she's saying like you could have done more and it turns out a big reason why their marriage didn't last is because she was very ambitious and like wanted to have a good career and he like wasn't willing to let her take the steps she needed to to go forward in her career and that like he wasn't quite as ambitious and was good with being comfortable where he was. So she was like you should try for more like you're a smart guy all this stuff. He's having like a bit of a crisis. The president um, is—he basically has agreed to let his secretary of defense like nuke some of the ships. I think this might have happened actually a minute earlier than this, but I forgot this detail. Um, and all, the whole movie—he's been dragging his feet on like using nuclear weapons because obviously there's a lot of long-lasting destruction that will come from that, and like anyone who's still surviving in the areas where they're using nukes won't survive. So. Um, Anyway, they decide to try. They use one of them. It doesn't work at all. It doesn't go through the shields at all. Uh, they use, I think, over Houston, and so they call off the rest of them. And um, in the middle of all this, David's like having a meltdown because of that, and because of obviously this conversation with his ex-wife and all this stuff. And he's like a little drunk, 
and throwing stuff around and his dad comes to find him and um is like oh get up off the floor you'll catch cold and david has this moment of inspiration like you'll catch cold you're a genius all this stuff so he's like running around and is figuring out that like the way to take down the ships is to use a virus because he's already figured out some of their code earlier in the movie and they have one of their ships and all of this stuff he can figure out a virus to send into them to like take down the shields for a little while not for like forever but long enough potentially that other ships could like fighter pilots or whatever could go and start attacking all the ships that are around earth and and hopefully prevent them from launching their full-scale attack um so that's his plan basically and he needs someone to pilot the ship um the alien ship and of course captain hiller's the guy to do it because he's seen them in action and he pulled the alien out of the ship and he's a good pilot anyway so there's like a touching little moment in the middle of all this where Hiller and Jasmine get married. And meanwhile, as their witnesses, David and Connie are sitting kind of in the back row of this little makeshift chapley thing. And they hold hands and like realize they're in love and like their differences can't keep them apart and like all this stuff. Um, <laughs> Cry number two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's super cute. And like, uh, Jasmine's adorable son, like watching them with love in his eyes. Oh, the cutest, the cutest thing. Okay, um, okay. So now they've like figured all that out. They know what they're gonna do. Um, they know kind of what the timeline's gonna be as far as like they'll be tracking kind of the alien ship as the two guys take it up. Um, so once they get into the the mothership, as they are calling the huge one that's still in space. Um, they will let everyone on Earth know, and so all the, the American military people are trying to to coordinate in Morse code with forces all around the world. And um, so we're seeing people in the East and Asia and Europe and all the stuff that are getting ready to get their um, air forces and stuff ready to go so they can attack the ships as soon as they're told it's okay. And there's a little, like, very US-centric moment in there where <laughs> um, I guess it's like the British forces in the Middle East. One of them says to presumably a captain or something, like, oh, the Americans have a plan. He's like, it's about time. And very, very US-centric, like, as if people would be waiting for us to make the plans, but it's fine. Um, and then uh, okay, so they, the two, Hiller and David Levinson, kind of get in the ship. It's determined that those two have to be the two to do it because obviously Hiller's the most supply. David Levinson does not trust anyone else to put up the code. He's like, they won't be able to think fast enough. So they like get in the ship. There's a whole thing with cigars earlier. I don't think I mentioned this earlier in the movie or earlier in the uh, summary, but basically. Captain Hiller has a thing where, like, he and his best friend, Harry Connick Jr., used to do this, where they would, like, get cigars, and when they had the end of a successful mission, they would, like, you know, light them up or something when the fat lady sings, and he, it's, like, his good luck charm, like, he can't go flying without cigars, so um, David's dad gives them both some um, to take with them. They, like, in the ship, and uh, after a few bumps, get it up in the air. Um, and, okay, then um, they kind of go up into the mothership. They're accepted in, so the mothership kind of takes control of their controls when they get into space. In the middle of all of this, like, 
the two men are having totally different reactions to being in space and going into a giant alien spaceship. Like, David's very, hates flying and is, like, very scared of all of this and, like, you know, clutching the sides of the seat kind of reaction. And Captain Hiller is, like, pumped because he wanted to be in NASA and is, like, seeing space before him and, you know, is realizing this is, like, this heroic moment or whatever. So they get into the mothership, start uploading the code. They close, like, the front screen thing on their ship so that the alien controller can't see that it's, like, humans in there. Um, and they're just kind of waiting for the um, the virus to upload. In the meantime, while this is happening, back on Earth at this base, um, they have kind of gathered as many of the people who have come to the base, the people in RVs and all that, as they can, who know how to fly. Because since so many of their pilots were killed in earlier kind of battles with the other ships, they need as many people on deck as they can. And so, of course, one of those uh, is Russell, the kind of hillbilly alcoholic guy that we met earlier. And um, they're all kind of gathering around and all this. Um, and the president gets up to give the most iconic movie speech of all time. <laughs> and <laughs> amazing. Um So I was wondering if we could actually read that (laughs) or play it or something, because I feel like it's maybe the most iconic part of this movie. It is. It is the most iconic part of the movie. (laughs) If it's okay, I can read it. Or would you rather play it it. (laughs) in Bill Pullman's voice instead of mine? How about you read it, and then we will determine at a later time whether I superimpose Bill Pullman's voice on (laughs) (laughs) the I'm going to nail this, and you're going to decide you want me. (laughs) I'm sure. Positive, if that is the case. <laughs> so it goes, good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind. That word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We'll be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We are fighting for our right to live to exist and should we win the day the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday but as the day the world declared in one voice we will not go quietly into the night we will not vanish without a fight we're going to live on we're going to survive today we celebrate our Independence Day! Yay! Yeah. Was that dramatic enough for you? <laughs> fantastic, Shannon. I can't believe that you didn't go into theater. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's it's a wonder. <laughs> no, really, that was very good. Was no, good. that part, it really gets me choked. <laughs> I know, it's great. And I like, you know, not just... Yay, America, but yay, the whole world and all of us yeah. coming together. <laughs> For sure. Yes. 
Yeah. I love that. Yeah. President that, Bill so, Pullman is the best president we've ever had. <laughs> he, he really is great in this. <laughs> Anyway, continue Alex. yeah we could <laughs> thank you <laughs> yes that's like always the second scene i cry in <laughs> the first obviously yeah. the first lady's death so yeah that's uh that's a good one um okay so he's like you know inspires all the troops or whatever they'll go get in their ships and are flying up kind of getting ready for um hillary and levinson to like give them the go-ahead that they've uploaded the virus or that the virus is finished so the virus is finished <laughs> and the people in the control room on earth see that it is to so, like go ahead and fire the president fires a missile at the giant ship hovering above them and does nothing the shield is still up so back on the ground um the generals and everything are like okay guys pull out we'll think of something else and the president's like oh, i forgot to mention he went up too because he was a former pilot okay so the president is <laughs> best president ever <laughs> yeah, yeah he's amazing um so then he's like i want to give it another go fires again and this time it lands and um there's an explosion and stuff so everyone's cheering like realizing that the virus has worked um so they start launching like a full attack and um, of course, all the little mini alien ships come out, so they're fighting with that and trying to fire the big ship. And um, okay, so uh, I'll stick with that, and then I'll go back to the alien to the alien ship in space because I feel like that makes more sense. But so all of the pilots are shooting and um, going around, and then they all um, are running out of missiles, and the alien ship opens again its huge super weapon, the same one that was used earlier in the movie to destroy those major cities like the beam of fire kind of weapon and the president shoots his last missile to try to take out this giant beam and it turns out it's sort of shielded as well so it didn't work and basically everyone's out of missiles they're like pretty much out of options and then you know out of the dust comes russell and he's like uh i still have one left and sorry i'm late got held up and we see back in the control room in the base, his oldest son, who we've seen kind of taking care of him throughout the movie, um, but being like kind of ashamed of him throughout the movie, is like listening in to everyone's radios and stuff back in the control room. So um, he's listening to this whole thing and uh, Russell's like, I got you, president, like I'm going to go um, fire this missile, he goes to fire it, the like firing mechanism is jammed or something, and it turns out he's not going to be able to launch it. Um, so they feel like they're out of options, but then he, uh, Russell is like, realizes there's another option, which is that he can just take the missile himself toward the beam. So he sees it as like retribution for getting abducted all those years ago. Um, his son's realizing this and like panicking, but Russell goes and like flies and he says like, I'm back in this very obnoxious, but very excited <laughs> tone. And then flies up into the beam and it, it, you know, the missile explodes and then ship starts exploding from the inside and it was successful. Everyone's celebrating in the air, everyone's celebrating down in the control room. And um, his son's kind of standing there sadly. And one of the soldiers like kind of puts a hand on his Casey shoulder Baldwin's or something. And it's Casey like, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, your father really was very brave today. You should be proud. And the son looks and smiles. It's like, I am proud. Beautiful. <laughs> Three. <laughs> I was gonna say four for me. <laughs> we're, we're really going. <laughs> it's, it's a really good moment. Um, okay, so all this stuff is happening. So we know that 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 like offensive on Earth has been, you know, pretty successful. 
back in the mothership, um, Hiller's trying to pilot the alien ship that he and David are in away, um, but it turns out that they've been kind of like locked into place inside the ship, and it doesn't seem like there's going to be any way that they can get out. But their plan was to kind of like launch a nuke into the ship, and they realize that they have to do it whether they're still there or not. Um, so they light up their cigars and have this like sweet moment of friendship and like, all this stuff. Um, and they're like, good job, thanks for your effort, like all that stuff. Um, and then they uh, launch the nuke, and I think it maybe a couple of their missiles or something, I can't remember exactly, but, um, and the aliens obviously have no idea what's coming. And then I guess the launch of that has freed the ship from its restraints. So they have 30 seconds to get out of the mothership, start flying out. There's a Jurassic Park callback where <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's money <laughs> must go faster. And they're like flying out and they get out of the ship. And then we see like the nuke explodes within the ship and it like obliterates it. And it kind of like washes over these guys are escaping. We don't know if they made it or not. Um, and okay, so meanwhile, um, back on Earth, like everyone's kind of been celebrating at this base, and then the two, so Jasmine and Connie come into the control room, and they're informed that like David and Hiller haven't been heard from in like twenty minutes or something. So they're sad and concerned, and then some tech guy, of course, pops up and is like, oh, actually, we have, like, a signal coming from out in the middle of the desert. So they <laughs> go out to to figure out what the signal is. They're hoping it's the guys, and it is. And they're just, like, smoking their cigars and walking away, and there's a very cool moment <laughs> from their, like, like, wreckage of their ship in the background and, um, you know, hugging everyone. And then we're kind of seeing shots also of, like, all around the world, um the giant ships have fallen down. So it looks like pretty much everyone's been successful and the threat's gone and all of that. And it's, um, that's pretty much it, I think. And then, oh, and also we see all the bits of like the ships flying around in the air yeah, and Captain Miller, who had promised um, his now stepson earlier in the movie that he'd given fireworks for the 4th of July um, is like, I promised you fireworks. And then the movie ends. <laughs> Independence Day. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you feel so patriotic right now? <laughs> so amped up. Yep. Sweet. So let's talk about some of the moments from a movie that get referenced a lot. So one I would say is the alien ship over the White House, like oh, shooting yeah. down its beam of fire and the White House exploding. That's pretty iconic. Okay. Uh what else would you guys say? That welcome to Earth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Punch an alien up in the face. Yeah. So good. It's pretty great. Oh my gosh. And then uh, Randy Quaid flying his ship in, or his plane into the ship and saying, I'm back. Yes. And then obviously the speech that Shannon read. Yeah. Anything else? There's one, um, I didn't even talk about this earlier, but there's one really iconic shot, I think. Um, so I think the special effects in this movie really, really hold up. Like, I know they used a lot of model work and stuff, which is part of the reason that it didn't date that badly, because a lot of the stuff was, like, practical effects. But there's, like, right when the ships in the beginning are, like, um, launching their fire beams for the first time, and all the people in Los Angeles, including one of, like, Jasmine's co-workers, standing on the roof, like, holding their signs, like, abduct me, and all that stuff. 
And there's a shot of like one of her coworkers, her friend, like looking up and her like face is like bathed in the blue light of the ship. And then obviously they all die like that is like a shot that you see a lot of times in compilations of like cool shots from movies or whatever. And I think that's like one of the more iconic little bits of the movie that like doesn't, I mean, it gets referenced, but not necessarily, it's not a quote, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Cool. Um, so now we're going to talk about uh, impact of this movie. So what would you guys say is the cultural impact of Independence Day? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, said I mean, earlier, I, think, I think a lot of yeah. like movies since have really tried to copy it. Um, and one of the things that I really liked about this movie is like, yeah, it ha- is full of like cheesy lines and stuff, but there's kind of an earnestness about it. You know, it's not trying to be like coy or cool. Like it was just trying to be like a fun action packed movie. And I think a lot of, I'm, I'm trying to think of like specific examples from recently, but we see a lot of shots of like the white house being blown up or whatever. And I just think a lot of, uh, more recent movies sort of pale in comparison. They're trying to do the same thing and trying to hit that same impact. But I think Independence Day really set the gold standard for a lot of kind of alien um, destruction movies. Yeah, I'd say that that's true. Yeah, I'm looking at an article from RogerEbert.com and um, I think this little bit says it well. <laughs> um, <laughs> that when this movie came out, it says its destruction was something we'd never seen before. It was full of the sound and fury that can create the awe needed for an instant all-time movie moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this was operatic destruction composed of screams and shattered glass conducted with bloodlust and guilty pleasure, the scales of which we'd never seen. Um, so when I think of this movie, it's that same, like you said, the visuals hold up. I don't think we had seen like visuals, destruction, <laughs> yeah. like chaos quite like that before. Um, mm-hmm. Probably because we didn't have the technology to meet that <laughs> up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I'm sure that a lot of, I mean, you can pr- probably think of so many movies coming out this summer that are this kind of level mm-hmm. of destruction, <laughs> um, and all of that's kind of owed to Independence Day. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yep. It was also the start of Will Smith's like big blockbusters, right? Because for a while he had so many of them in a row, like every mm-hmm. July mm-hmm. he would have a movie that was making millions and millions of dollars, so yeah. Um, sure. It he, kind of launched him <laughs> a little bit. Was he in this before Men in Black and Wild Wild West and stuff? I want to say yeah, but maybe. I mean, maybe obviously he did Fresh Prince and things beforehand, so it yeah. wasn't that he wasn't known, but I feel like this was the start. Yeah, we got to look up what Men in Black is. Yeah. <laughs> I can't you just so Will like Smith is the action hero. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not just the rapper. Yeah. Right. Although... Will Smith, the rapper, is still my favorite rapper. (laughs) (laughs) Really, he's your favorite rapper? Well, I as a kid, like weirdly, I really liked. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. he was the only one that was clean enough for me to listen to as a kid. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so this was his first like major movie after Fresh Prince. He was in Bad Boys in '95. Oh, you know what? Yeah, he was in Bad Boys. He was. He played a couple of other roles in other movies, but uh, yeah, I, I would say that this is probably and yeah. I think this is probably the ones. the first movie that he was in that solidified his role as a leading man. Um, I feel like that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, and oh, does he look good? In this? <laughs> <laughs> also, can we talk about how like I think it was like uh, okay. So in films before this. 
usually when you had a black guy who was a mean our main character um you know like we've talked about this with horror how like often like uh people of color are considered subconsciously to be a threat to white people Mm -hmm. and therefore in horror movies like they're often one of the first people killed so that way it can like oh you were scared of this guy but this thing that killed him is even scarier um and that was kind of the you know one of the main roles of people of color in action movies Mm -hmm. as well um will smith is like a leading character who like thrives and does well and is like somebody you look up to in this film, which I think was a nice change of pace. And also the subversion of Jasmine's character of like, she's a stripper. I didn't mention that. I don't think. And uh, there's like a moment after she's just saved the first lady where the first lady's like, Oh, what do you do for work? She says, I'm a dancer. And the first lady's like, Oh, ballet. And Jasmine's (laughs) like, Oh no, exotic. And the first lady says something like, Oh, I'm sorry. And Jasmine's like, Oh no. Like, I love it. Don't work. Yeah. Like, plenty of money to pay the bills. Like, I can take care of my son. I really like that moment. That was like such a subversion of like what we normally see from a character in that kind of a profession. That I was like, that was great. Good job. And I was, I was going to mention that too. And along with that, having Constance, um, I, the women in this movie, it's like they're unapologetic and they get what they want, which mm-hmm. I super appreciate because I think in action movies, one reason I don't always love them is because the women. Or they are screaming to the side and the men take care of it and stop the threat. Mm -hmm. Um, But like Constance, David's wife, is the one who said, I'm I have all this ambition. I have this great opportunity Mm -hmm. at the White House and I'm going to take it and I don't care what you want. (laughs) Like you're not you don't have the same level (laughs) of ambition that I do. And that's holding me back. Mm -hmm. Um, And they say it with Jasmine, like one thing that comes up is um, Will Smith, um, whatever, I'm just going to keep calling him Will Smith, I can't remember his name, but um, he keeps trying to get into NASA, and Harry Connick Jr. says, he reads the letter that says he didn't get in another time, and he sees the ring for, uh, the wedding ring for Jasmine, and says, oh, well, yeah, you're part. never, you're never going to get into NASA if you marry a stripper, mm-hmm. Um and, and these women, they just, they do what they want and what works for them and don't let that hold them back. And he, he ends up marrying Jasmine because she's cool with him. That's mm-hmm. the life she's chosen and the way that she takes care of her family. So, yeah, right. yeah that, yep. Yeah. Also, can we, can we take a, a little side path here and talk about the ring that he gives her? Because I think it's ugly. <laughs> it's so ugly. It is ugly, but it's also a dolphin, which she loves. So there's like, yeah, okay. I know. I, it's sweet. But it's ugly. <laughs> I, I love I love dolphins. I love lions. I do not want that on my wedding ring. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> she looks completely moved by that though. Like yeah, when she sees sure. the ring, she looks very touched that I you mean, remember that. I guess I guess whatever works for her. Um, <laughs> does not work for me. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Anything else we want to talk about with this movie? Um, I want to know if either of you have seen the sequel or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Have you seen it, Alex? I have, unfortunately, and I pretend like it doesn't exist because it's terrible. (laughs) Can you, I don't want to like bring up bad memories, (laughs) um, because I know very little about it other than Jeff Goldblum's once again in it, but Liam Hemsworth, the lesser Hemsworth, is also in it. Yes. Um, So I'd like to hear just like 
very basic how this relates to the first one yes. and what the plot and is. Before we do that, I have to explain one of the reasons why we brought Alex on the show. Um, Alex and I work together and Alex has very black and white opinions about movies. She either loves it or she hates that it. That is true. <laughs> so I, I find it very, uh, very amusing. We get both takes. We get, we both get takes. to love it's it very... and hate it now. Exactly. So Alex, tell us about the sequel. Well, yes. So, okay. So I, as you can guess, did not like Resurgence at all. I was very upset by it. Um, and the, the basic, like, storyline is like it's 20 years later or something i think it's 20 years later and um we kind of are seeing like some of the after effects of like the earth has used some of the alien tech to build more advanced technology and then you know the aliens come back and we see like the president's daughter is all grown up and hiller's son is also a captain now and all grown up and liam hemsworth is also there and it's just it's so bad um, but we, I mean, we do see like kind of what happened to a lot of the characters, which is, it should be fun, but how many spoilers should I give you guys? Oh, spoilers. <laughs> I'm never going to watch it. So. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to watch it? No. Basically, they like kill off almost all of the main characters from the first movie, which is Aww. like, and in horrible ways. And I just really didn't like it. I thought it was really distasteful. <laughs> and it turns out that like, not all the aliens are like our size. There's a queen alien who's massive, but that does lead to the one scene in the movie that's worth watching, which is, and Jeff Goldblum is amazing in the movie and Bill Pullman's in the movie quite a bit. And he's also really good. So like, it's not a product of bad acting. It's a product of like just a poorly written movie, but there's a scene where they're like in the desert again, as always. And <laughs> um, Jeff Goldblum's like driving a school bus full of kids you can imagine is a horrifying experience for him because his character like doesn't like kids or driving <laughs> and his dad's also there like nagging backseat driving and they're trying to escape from this massive queen alien and it's just like five minutes of like a crazy school bus chase thing <laughs> and it's as weird and dumb as it sounds but it's funny like that's I don't think it was even supposed to be funny but I thought it was funny and there's like another meme that came from that movie of like Jeff Goldblum's monotone screaming of like him and Liam Hemsworth in an alien ship or a ship I don't even remember and he's like kind of screaming as they enter the atmosphere but like oh you know very Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's all you need to know about that movie never subject awesome. great <laughs> <laughs> now everyone's filled in so no one has to watch it <laughs> watch that one scene look it up on youtube the school bus alien chase it's hilarious <laughs> everything else is terrible excellent <laughs> great well i think we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode with uh just do we recommend independence day i think we know alex's recommendation about <laughs> the sequel and she's yes. the only one who's seen it so we're gonna leave it at that but for the original um alex do you recommend that people watch this movie this is more a formality yeah excellent how about you shannon yeah totally cool watch this on fourth of july instead <laughs> yeah. of history just kidding <laughs> i mean it's, it's fine you're still sticking to your gettysburg, I'm still sticking now. To gettysburg but i i say that knowing that i'm going to be the only one watching it because i know my kids won't i know andrew won't 
but yeah. I know we're also going to watch this. We're going to do both. This is um, a good time. Like, yeah. It's, it's just fun, but not like mindless fun. There's, yes. some, there's some stuff in there. Yeah. 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 Got some heft. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, I would say, I would recommend it, but I would say don't go into it expecting like something really like if you've never seen it before and you've heard other people talk about it you might be like oh it's one of the greatest movies ever it is and not. it is, it is. <laughs> <laughs> i mean There's expect expect the gloves like, are out <laughs> expect a thin plot line with predictable moments expect <laughs> like corny lines and you'll be fine like it's, it's just a, it's a fun time like <laughs> yeah. it's it's a, it's a blockbuster it's fun better than uh, a lot of blockbusters I've yes. seen recently. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't so. know, because when you say that, it makes it sound like that's... The only thing coming to mind right now is that new The Rock movie, The Skyscraper. Oh, the skyscraper yeah. <laughs> oh. Something like that I know is going to be bad. This is higher than that. Like, yes, I would say There's so. got to be some middle range. Like, yeah. Not yeah. not an Oscar-winning, well, like, say, very drama, yeah. I, but... I would say too that it's very (laughs) earnest. Like it knows it's corny. It knows its plot line is thin (laughs) and it's just leaning into it and just going, yes, this is what we're making. (laughs) Um, And that has a certain amount of charm to it that you don't get in a lot of blockbusters. So yeah, I would say see it. Like don't expect the world, but (laughs) yeah. Cool. All right, sweet. Well, I think that's going to be it for us. So, um, as always, you can find us on Twitter at PC Footnotes. You can find us on Facebook at Pop Culture Footnotes. Um, you can, if you're listening on iTunes or Castbox FM or any of the other places where we are available to stream, you can also check out our website, popculture-footnotes.com. Um, and if you have suggestions for things that you want to hear about, we are actively looking for things to talk about for the rest of the year. So shoot us an email at popculturefootnotes at gmail.com. Um, Alex, where can people find you? Um, I'm on Twitter at ahaslam underscore writing. Um, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> Great. Um, Alex also is uh, in charge of PR for cutcabletoday.com. And she knows all about <laughs> cable and, or sorry, it's howtowatch.com. Yeah. <laughs> my bad my nice bad transition. <laughs> yes um but yeah so check her out there if you want to know more about cord cutting she is an awesome resource so cool. <laughs> i got you alex thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you again to alex for coming on thanks to uh dj pj preston judd for our theme song oh, and cool. uh Join us next week. We are going to be hosting the Sharkies. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yes. Um, basically our you're, own personal award show for shark movies. I was going to say, you're just going to have to find out what that means. Oh, I'm no, sorry. I explained fine. it. I spoiled well, it. No, they should know what they're getting into. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun. Great. Well, join us then. Bye. Bye.